Welcome to episode eight. You know Zeus, god of thunder and ruler of the skies. Today we walk with his brothers. One is the ruler of all the seas, and the other is the lord of the dead. One spends sunny days taming horses and swimming in his oceans in a dance with dolphins, while the other stalks the underground, surrounded not by light, but by death. I speak of the sea god Poseidon and of his dark brother Hades. Welcome to Garner's Greek Mythology. This is Patrick Garner. I'm a mythologist and the author of three novels. They constitute a trilogy and have one theme, that the ancient Greek gods are here and that they never left. Imagine with me that they were never myths. In earlier episodes, we met Gaia, Zeus, Athene, Apollo and Artemis. Each dazzles us with complex stories of creation, seduction, and constant deception. Today's story begins with a family squabble over an inheritance. Bequest going to three brothers, Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades. Brothers. Brothers fighting over the possessions of their late father, Kronos, who was gone because they had killed him. He had ruled everything, and now his sons had ended his mighty reign. Could it have been any other way? Sons killing fathers is a common theme in Greek mythology, and it was true here as well. So they drew lots, which was a bit like throwing dice. Fate would determine who got what and who would become the god of each realm. Zeus took first prize and won the heavens and earth. Poseidon got the seas, and Hades, all the realms of earth were taken, and so he was left with what remained, the underworld, where all go at the end of life. Most of what we know about the Greek gods came from the writings of Homer and the Iliad and the Odyssey. Homer also wrote hymns to the gods, one hymn was about Poseidon. You have sea-colored locks, are blessed among the gods, and protect sailors who venture out upon your seas. The sea god Poseidon could calm the seas or create violent storms and earthquakes. It was believed that with a single gesture he could destroy entire cities. In the aftermath of such disasters, temple priests blamed political leaders, criminals, or generals for angering Poseidon. Basically, anyone but Poseidon. As his temper was infamous, Poseidon had to be appeased. That is, if one was to venture out to sea. How did a mortal gain favor of an immortal like Poseidon, sacrifice. And sacrifices were done constantly. In fact, the tradition continues today. Each new ship, whether it's a cargo freighter, destroyer, or a weekend pleasure yacht, is blessed with the finest bottle of champagne 
In fact, the better the wine, the more likely the ship will stay afloat. Still, ships sank, and when they did, ship owners blamed everyone but Poseidon. A captain had erred, or a sailor had doubted the god's existence. To blame the god was to incur Poseidon's fury. What did Poseidon look like? He was ripped, muscle-bound, and always carried a bronze trident, a three-pronged spear. Fishermen have used these forever. The Italian carmaker Maserati today uses his trademark trident as their logo. But Poseidon raised its utility to a whole new level. His was weaponized. He would plunge it into the very earth itself to create earthquakes, shattering rocks, and causing giant waves. As we learned in the episode about Athena, Poseidon showed his might by striking his trident into the rock face of the Acropolis. The blow was so piercing that although they stood 500 feet above the sea, seawater rushed up into the hole to the amazement of all. Poseidon's might was also demonstrated on the Cycladic island of Delos, where Zeus's wife Leto found refuge to give birth to Apollo and Artemis. The island was said to be unattached, to, to float in circles like a cork, making it wildly unstable and hardly a fitting place for childbirth. Poseidon thrust his trident into the sea, and Delos was instantly anchored to the seafloor, giving Leto solid ground for her successful delivery of the twins. At the height of the Greek Empire, Poseidon lived in a golden palace below the sea. There he raised numerous horses in this glistening world below the waves. He would harness them to a magnificent golden chariot. Sailors said it was not unusual to see him flying over the waves. Trident raised high, dolphins leaping beside the bright chariot drawn by these mighty steeds. In later years, Poseidon became merged with the Roman god Neptune. His name in Latin was Neptunus, which referred to the god of streams and lakes, a being less mighty than the god of the seas. Poseidon's power, that is, Neptune's power, weakened. One explanation may be that the Romans were not the seafarers that the Greeks were. And while the Greeks depicted Poseidon as a tall man with a lean bodybuilder's physique, the Romans depicted him as an older man with unruly hair and a wild beard. Now horses. Let's talk about the special relationship between Poseidon and these magnificent creatures. The sea was Poseidon's domain, but horses became his obsession and his great gift to mortals. 
One legend says he struck his trident against the plains of Thessaly and a mighty horse arose from the dust. Another is that he created the creature at his sister Demeter's request. She challenged him to make the world's most beautiful animal. Being a mighty god, he said, hold my beer, or something like that. It took several attempts. One failure was a creature with the front body of a horse and the rear body of a fish. Another, however, awe-inspiring was the flying horse Pegasus. Winged, it was beautiful, but a one-off. The strange horse Pegasus became a legend, a constellation in the night sky and a companion of Zeus. But finally, after multiple attempts, Poseidon succeeded in making a horse to fill the Greek plains. And what did he call his creation? To English speakers, the ancient Greek word for horse is somewhat amusing. The word was hippios, or hippos, as in hippopotamus. Sounds like a poor translation, doesn't it? But in fact, our word for the hippopotamus is derived directly, without change, from the Greek. It meant horse of the river, or river horse. The connection seems odd, but because there were no hippopotamuses in Greece, their existence was almost mythical. But think about it. Poseidon was a god of the waters, and these awkward-looking animals lived in water in rivers. The sea god had created horses. To the Greek imagination, the hippopotamus was clearly related to the majestic land animal Poseidon's horse. Then in time, as herds of horses became common throughout the Mediterranean, Poseidon became known as the tamer of horses. That the sea god could be associated with a land animal is simply another paradox that's similar to others we've seen with all the gods. Regardless, the majesty of a horse has been celebrated ever since. In my last two novels, The Cladic Girls and Homo Divinitus, Poseidon shows up as the father of a character I created named Dany. She believes he's disappeared, like so many of the male gods had done, but to her amazement, he simply shows up here today in modern times. Yeah, talk about a deadbeat dad just 1,500 years behind on child support. The story appears in Cycladic Girls, and you can find it on Amazon. But what of the other brother, Hades, the one who got the dark underworld? He was known throughout the ancient world as the unseen one, as he ruled in a different plane of existence. To the Romans, he was Pluto, the monarch of the dead. The poet Hesiod, who lived about the same time as Homer wrote, strong Hades who under the ground lives in his palace and has a heart without pity. Mortals associated Hades with snakes, black sheep, cypress trees, screech owls, and, like Poseidon, horses. 
His favorite companion was a three-headed dog named Cerberus. It was said that the dog watched all things, including anyone entering or trying to flee the world of the dead. Hades was rarely referred to as Hades. Speaking his name, you see, was far too dangerous. Saying Hades, you might draw his attention. Instead, the ancient used euphemisms such as the notorious one and he who receives many. He was also called the unyielding one as he was loath to release anyone who entered his dark kingdom. When sacrifices were made to the god of death, all would turn their faces away so as not to be recognized. Animals sacrificed to him were all black. Imagine black-winged birds such as crows and grackles, black sheep and charcoal-colored goats. Hades had a magnificent chariot drawn by four black horses. They were gifts from Poseidon, who you have to assume was thrilled he'd won the sea in that long-ago game of drawing lots. In the modern world, we equate hell and Hades as one. Think of an old-fashioned curse like, you can go straight to Hades. But to the Greeks and Romans, Hades was a god, not a place, and his kingdom was simply the underworld. Those who died had to cross into the underworld by way of a river called the Styx. The river's name meant literally hatred of death. All were ferried across it in a run-down boat by a deity named Charon who powered it using a long wooden staff. He was accompanied by the god Hermes. For the journey, Charon charged an obolus, a a small coin as payment. The ancient practice of placing coins in the eyes of the dead or a single coin on the tongue of the deceased is derived from Sharon's demand. Paupers and those too poor to pay were left on the banks of the Styx, forced to beg and plead for passage. In time, if ignored, they became mere ghosts. But once across the black, rapid waters of the Styx, the dead first confronted Hades' dog Cerberus, who herded them into the gloom. Were they the offspring of some god? Or were they merely commoners? Were any heroes among them? Further complicating their fate, they had to drink from one of two waters, depending on how they had conducted their lives. One water was the river Lethe, all who drank from there forgot everything. The second water was the pool of memory. This was the preferred water as it allowed vivid memories of all that had occurred in one's life.
Hades ruled the underworld, but his actions affected those above ground, too. With Zeus's help, he kidnapped a young woman named Persephone, dragging her down to the underworld to be his wife. Her mother, Demeter, desperately searched for her. In Demeter's grief, she made all crops fail, which, of course, threatened mortals with famine. Zeus knew that if everyone starved, no one would be left to worship the gods. Consequently, he sent the god Hermes down to the underworld to plead for her return. In Homer's second hymn, Hades says, Go now, Persephone, to your dark-robed mother. Go, yet feel kindly in your heart towards me. Be not cast down, for I shall be a fitting husband for you among the deathless gods. Those on the earth who do not appease you with offerings, reverently performing rites and paying gifts, shall be punished forevermore. But Hades wasn't playing it straight. As he prepared his chariot to return to the girl, he tricked her. Persephone was unaware that anyone who eats while underground can never escape completely. He gave her a pomegranate seed, saying, Eat this, my dear, if you get hungry. And of course, she got hungry. Unknowingly, she was now bound to Hades and the underworld. Demeter, finding out, was furious. So Zeus was forced to intervene once again and broker a deal. And the deal was that Persephone would spend two-thirds of every year above ground, but must forever return to Hades for the other four months. It was believed that during this time every year, while she lives with the dark god Hades, the earth experiences winter. This half a loaf is better than none result was of course a win for humanity in thanks for Persephone's return, which took place in the town of Eleusis near Athens. Her mother gave a gift known as the Eleusian Mysteries. Participating in these mysteries assured mortals of a good spot in the underworld. A last take about Hades and death. Hades was simply the lord of the underworld. Another god, Thanatos, was the actual god of death. Thanatos. No one wanted to even say his name. Hades was feared, but Thanatos was hated. He was merciless and indiscriminate. Even the other gods abhorred his work. Only the three Greek fates, Lachesis, Clotho, and Asa, nodded knowingly as they alone knew the precise moment of each death. The fates, by the way, are the heroines of my first novel, The Winnowing. They're duplicitous and willing to do just about anything to get their way. What became of Poseidon? And did Hades drift away as the new religion denied his very existence? Indeed, Poseidon slipped away. It was easy. 
As a master of waves and earthquakes, his effects were felt far more frequently than his face was seen. To this day, tragically, he reminds us of his power. Earthquakes come without warning. Mighty tsunamis can strike with devastating effects. And the horse that he created fills the stables of the wealthy and carries today's cowboy on every continent. In Hades, when the dead stopped arriving on the banks of the Styx, did he roll up some immense stone across the entrance to the underworld and put up a closed sign? No, for there remained those whom the Christians called pagans. They, too, needed a final destination. So Hades maintains his dark kingdom. As a god, he would not simply disappear. His fate? There was no fate. His lovely wife, Persephone, still joins him in winter and emerges at springtime to awaken the earth. And even today, the dark lord of the underworld sits on his throne, scratching the head of Cerberus, his fearsome dog, and his doors remain open. In our next podcast, it's Ladies' Night. Aphrodite awaits. She's the goddess of love whom the Romans renamed Venus. I assure you, she's far more fun than Poseidon, Hades, and certainly the god of death, Thanatos. Be sure to visit patrickgarnerbooks.com or find me on Amazon. My three novels are set in today's world and feature Greek gods who meddle and maneuver as they always have.